Two days ago, we had this memory, right? This thing that we celebrated, it's called Patriot Day. And Patriot Day is a time to where we look at the greatest act of terror in the history of our nation, 9-11. A day that will remain in infamy, a day that we saw the worst of humanity, the worst of all evils, come and attack people who were just minding their own business at work. There were men and women who were senselessly killed at this. There were boys and girls who were just at preschool in their nursery doing just what little children do. And all of a sudden you saw evil and fear come across our country. And that evil had a name. His name was Osama bin Laden. It was Islamic terrorism. And all these things came and they brought a reckoning probably to the point to where many of you can remember where you were exactly on that day. I know for me, I had been unjustly accused of something, and so I was going to the Plano Courthouse. This is a confession of my sin, by the way. Unjustly accused of a traffic violation to where they said I may or may not have allegedly been speeding. And so I was driving to the courthouse to tell them how wrong they were for thinking that somebody like me would go too fast. And I remember as I pulled up to the courthouse, there was a sight that I had not really ever experienced before in America. There were police officers with assault rifles in their hand. As I got close to the building, they told me that the courthouse was shut down and that I needed to return to my home. And I had no idea what was going on. So, of course, I didn't go to my home. I went to my work. And I remember walking in Preston when there's TVs everywhere, and every TV had the same thing on. It was a picture of the, the towers, and one was smoking, and I remember about the time I walked in, something happened and exploded. We didn't know that it was a, a second airplane hitting the second tower at that time, but there was just fear and panic, right? Over the next few minutes and hours and days and weeks, we kind of began to understand what had happened, and our country became united, not in fear, but we became united in the sense of justice. We wanted justice for the wrong that had been done to our country. Our president stood up, and he galvanized our country. He brought us all together, and it wasn't about Republican or Democrat. It was about being an American and doing whatever we could to be united against this evil that had come against our country. I remember the moment for me that just showed everyone as Americans that we would not be defeated. The moment that kind of captured the resolve of the American spirit. Our president had gone on TV and he had quoted scripture and he had given us his sense, but he did an action that was more than a game, and it was more about throwing a baseball. He went to Yankee Stadium as the Yankees were playing the Diamondbacks, and he did something called throwing the first pitch. It's a ceremony to start the game, but somehow in that moment, it was more than just a baseball game. It was more than just a pitch. The story is hilarious if you get the details of it. He was about to walk out onto the field, and Derek Jeter looked at him, and he said, Mr. President, are you going to be on the bottom or the top of the mound? He said, well, I figured I'd be on the bottom of the mound, and Derek Jeter looked at him and said, you can't do that. You've got to be on the top of the mound, or the people are going to boo you. And he goes, okay, I'll, I'll go to the top of the mound. And right as he was taking his first step, the captain looked at the president, and he said, Mr. President, 
don't short hop it. If you short hop it, the people are going to boo you. President Bush looked at him and said, okay. And he said, I was relatively calm until he said that. Then I'm walking out there thinking, you know, I can't, you know, short hop it. When he walked out onto that field, when he stepped onto that mound, it wasn't about baseball. It wasn't about being on the top of the mound. It wasn't about short hopping it. It was that where there was injustice, the American spirit would prevail. Where there was injustice, and evil, evil would not win. And like the man W is, whether you like his policies or not, that day he was everybody's president. He stood up there, he threw a strike right down the middle. Chance of USA and somehow everybody in our country felt like good would overcome evil. I believe in the past 19 years we have gone from the most unified our country has ever been to the most divided our country has ever been. You can blame it on politicians, you can blame it on political parties, you can blame it on racism, you can blame it on whatever you want. All I know is there was a time where we were united but right now in our culture you can see that evil is prevalent Anytime you turn on the news, anytime you hear a political conversation, anytime you hear a conversation about police or brutality or anything like that, you can just sense. And as we talk about social justice, as we talk about justice in general, what I want you to know is that the scripture is very clear on this matter. And while people might point fingers, we're going to point our hearts and our minds' attention to the Word of God. So I would like for you to please turn to Psalm 89. When we talk about this, about having justice in an evil culture, the battle between good and evil, I want you to understand that God is for righteousness and justice. He wants us to do right, to be right, to live right, and to do the just thing, to speak up for the right thing. Psalms 89.14 is so clear. So evident, this is what it says, righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. This is the psalmist speaking about the great God Almighty that we just sung about. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Steadfast love and faithfulness go before you. The psalmist is making this proclamation, a declaration that righteousness is to be the characteristic of not just his throne, but his people. That justice is to be sought in all matters because our God is a God of justice. The reason Christ died on the cross was for justice's sake. So that evil would be overcome, that the evil of sin could be defeated. So when we're talking about overcoming evil, really not just overcoming, but overpowering evil, what we need to understand as followers of Jesus Christ is that we will overpower evil with justice. Righteous and justice are the foundation of your throne. When we think of everything that happened with 9-11, we wanted justice to be served for the men and women who died in the towers, for the men and women who died at, the, at the, the hands of terror and evil, we wanted the right thing to be done, and that's why everybody supported the war on terror at the time. We wanted those who had taken lives to pay a price. We had no problem speaking out on the evil of injustice. 
We had no problem saying that what happened was wrong. And whenever we thought about going to seek after and to find and to destroy those who brought terror upon our country, everybody agreed with it. We saw the images of the towers that had collapsed. We saw so many pictures of people who were covered in in smoke and ash. We saw the pictures of the men and women who were putting the flag up, the heroes who while everybody was running out of the buildings for safety, our firemen and our policemen were running in to save lives. We wanted justice for them because evil had been incurred upon people for no reason at all. In our hearts, we want justice when we are wrong because righteousness and justice are the foundation of the one whose image we are created in. And so the thought that keeps coming to my brain as we have this thought of it's so easy for us to want justice. Why can a certain picture of injustice create division? Why can we, whenever we think of of maybe an issue, automatically be like, well, we're not even going to talk about that and justify injustice? Why can we not seek the justice of all people? Whether they're white or black, or purple, or brown, or orange, or violet. Why can't we just seek injustice? Why does a picture like this have to be divisive? Whenever you think about George Floyd and what happened to him, you see this picture, and immediately some people are thinking, well, he was on drugs, he was a rapist, he was an evil, by any man's description, he was not a good person. It doesn't matter what he had done up until that point in his life. No man deserves to be choked out by another man's knee, not by those who are sought to protect and serve. And this is not saying anything that all cops are bad. They're not. I don't think the police officer meant to do it. But it was done nonetheless, and so justice needs to be served, regardless of the drugs George Floyd was on, regardless of the situation around it. It could and should have been handled differently. Justice should also be served for the business owners who had their stores vandalized for no reason at all. Justice should be served for the men and women whose cars were burned at the hands of Antifa or certain Black Lives Matter organizations or people trying to identify with them to raise Chaos on our country. Justice should be served for all of them. When there is something wronged against a person or a place, justice should be served. This should not be complicated. This should not be hard. This past week, there was the police chief in Houston. And if you're not familiar with the story that broke this past week, there were four police officers who were called to a scene a few months ago. There was a man who had left a mental hospital. He was in psychosis, right? He was a psychotic man. He had been dealing with drugs and mental illness. And he had taken a knife and gone out of this mental hospital. And these four police officers surrounded him. When they found him, he was kind of seated. And they were trying to get him to drop the knife. They were trying to just get the situation under control so he didn't hurt himself or anyone else. He didn't go peacefully. He went and was controlled by psychosis, right? And so they tried to tase him to calm him down. They shot beanbags at him to try and calm him down. And how the story ended was 
as they had tased him, he was able to pull away one of their tasers, and as he put it in their hand, these four cops shot him 21 times. A man who was armed with a taser that had already been used. The police chief came out and he said this, I cannot and will not defend the actions of the four police officers that were involved. They used excessive force and went against their training in a situation that should have been resolved otherwise. They have been terminated, and there will be justice for this man who died. That should not stir us up. That should not make us angry at a police chief or angry at the situation. We should be glad that when there is injustice, justice will be served. That is why we have police officers to reign in chaos, to reign in terror, to reign in injustice. I remember just kind of trying to think through social justice and discrimination, social justice and prejudice, and we can act like there's no discrimination in our mind or that there's no prejudice in our hearts, but there's got to be something, whether it's white on white or white on a different color or different races or different situations to where we prejudge a situation. And I'm not saying that we're all racist. I'm not saying that we're all like guilty of every kind of social injustice in the world. I don't buy that. I don't believe that. But I do know this, that when there is injustice, what is deafening to our black brothers and sisters in Christ, when there is injustice, what is deafening to the people that have been wronged, is silence. The worst thing we can do as followers of Jesus Christ is to see an injustice and be silent about it. It doesn't matter if that injustice is abortion. It doesn't matter if injustice is a beating. It doesn't matter if that injustice is a senior adult who was scammed and taken their advantage of. It doesn't matter if that injustice is a robbery. If we see injustice and do nothing that is hateful to those around us. If we believe that all men and women are created in God's image, we must address the dignity of all people. If we believe that all people matter, we must address the dignity of all people. We must speak out on injustice, not because we want to be social justice champions, but because the foundation of God's throne is built on righteousness and justice. If you're curious, I am not a fan at all of the Black Lives Matter movement, but I believe that every black person's life matters. I believe that the senseless killing of black people, whether it's black-on-black -black crimes in the ghetto or if it's black-on-black -black crimes or Hispanic-on-black crimes or white-on-black crimes or police officer-on-black crimes, I think that all black people matter. I also believe that all white people matter and all Hispanic and all Asian people matter. I think every person matters. And for us to overpower evil, we must overpower it with justice. Tony Evans, my favorite preacher. I think... Maybe the greatest preacher of our time said this, talking about kind of addressing what's going on with social justice. He said, when we say unborn lives matter, we are not saying that born lives don't matter. We are not just looking for justice in the womb when we say unborn lives matter. When you have a whole life agenda 
it's not just a nine-month agenda. Then you have a biblical agenda that brings us around all of life instead of part of life. I have a friend who's all about the Black Lives Matter movement. She saw this quote and her statement was, all lives matter. All lives need dignity. But it doesn't do anything against white people to say that the lives of black people matter. And I'm not about the organization. Please understand this. What I'm saying is that when we see injustice in our world, when we see people harmed senselessly, we don't need to be afraid to speak out on that injustice because if we don't, people won't believe that we're a loving people. They won't believe that we have this conviction in our heart that all men are created by God and for God. These things are not mutually exclusive. We must overpower evil, not just with justice, but with love. When you look back at 89 verse 14 in the Psalms, it says, righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Steadfast love and faithfulness go before you. It gives us this clear picture that there is love that needs to permeate from the followers of Jesus Christ. As soon as I read this and I started thinking about it, I immediately went to Romans 12, 21. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. I just thought when people are mean and they're hateful to us, our reaction shouldn't be to want to punch them in the face all the time. I see some of you immediately looking away saying like, you don't know me, Cole. You don't tell me what to do. But if we have somebody that says something hateful to us. It's not our job as followers of Jesus Christ to react in hate. When we've been wronged or hurt, we don't need to immediately respond with hurtful and words and actions and deeds that are going to harm other people. We need to absorb it and pray that God would give us the ability to act like Jesus. I was reading this book on this topic, and this is what, what the author said. It says, Jesus was the perfect example of overcoming evil with good. When they hur hurled their insights, I'm going to start over. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. In submitting himself to the evil captors, he conquered sin, Satan, and death. Evil thought it had won the day that it nailed Christ to the cross, but because Jesus was fully surrendered to the will and plan of his Father, the Son of God overcame their evil with good. Though the actions against Christ were in themselves evil, Jesus' death, later resurrection, overcame that evil by purchasing forgiveness and eternal life for everyone who would believe. When we return a soft word, kindness, or generosity to someone who has wronged us, we leave the perpetrator alone with his evil. The call of the believer is not to just fight back every time we experience evil in our lives. It is not for us to put everybody else in their place. When we experience it, it is our job to take that which we have received in Christ, the fullness of his love, and act like Christ and give his love away. And if we're being honest, this is not an easy task for any of us. You come at me, my natural reaction is to come right back at you. Can I get an amen from anybody who's honest in this room? Nope. I got like three of them. So how do we, we overpower evil with love? I think what we've got to do is, is help people. 
to know that when people are hurting and they're down and they're out, they don't need us to react with hatred and animosity. They probably just need someone to be nice to them. I think about how we can tangibly help people who are down and out and it's easy to think about the drug dealers, right? It's easy to think about the men and the women that are strung out on drugs. It's easy to think about the, the destitute and the poor and how we can help them. I think about the, the hurting. I think about the example of Chris Simmons who's had his church broken into in downtown Dallas or just south in the ghetto, right in the hood. And instead of him trying to retaliate against people, he just serves them more. Gives them more food and more clothing and more shower. Just gives them the ability to experience what it's like to be helped in times of hurting. The second one is easy, although it's hard to live out. It's, if we're going to overpower evil with love, we just simply have to love people. I think the saddest part of the pandemic is it's been socially unacceptable to give what everybody needs. Everybody needs physical affirmation. You may not be a hugger, but there are times in your life where you just need a hug. I'm not going to ask you to stand up and hug somebody and break all of our rules right now. But I will say this. You've got to have somebody in your life that you're okay with giving you a hug. Whenever we talk about loving other people and having a demonstration of that love, even if you're cautious in the way you live your life, it is easy for you to call somebody and say, hey, I was just thinking about you. I want to check on you and let you know I love you. It is easy to send a text message and just say, hey, I was thinking about you. Hey, friend, how are you doing? Are you, handle, are you handling the situation okay? How's your job? How's your life? How's your family? How's everything going? It's easy for us to write a letter and just send it in the mail. And all it says is, hey, I love you. you know, sign your name. Or say, Cole told me to love you, so I'm writing this. Whatever. Don't do that. And the email is easy. Another way that we can show love to other people, just a simple thing. Get a small little gift. Spend 50 cents or a dollar, whatever. Put it in a little bag. Go drop it off on somebody's front porch. Ring the doorbell. Be six, eight, ten feet back, whatever. Go to your car and say, hey, I just want to say hi. I left you a little gift to let you know I'm thinking about you and I love you. Just love others. Another way that we overcome evil with love is by simply enjoying people. Everybody in your life, in some form or fashion, has something that you can enjoy about them. We prove this in our office every single day. Everybody who comes into our office provides a smile and a sense of joy for us here at the church. You want to know why? Some people give us a huge smile whenever they come in the door, and some people give us a huge smile when they go out the door. You got to enjoy, but y'all are the only people who didn't laugh at that. I thought it was pretty funny, but apparently y'all are asleep, which is weird because it's the 11 o'clock service. There might be people in your life that are wicked, evil, mean, and they only have hateful things to say. They make you feel small. They make you feel bad about everything you are. They bring up all your faults, all your failures. What I would say is as you think about them, instead of being hurt by them, just look at them with sorrow in your heart and have a mentality that will say, you know what, God, thank you for allowing me not to have that mentality about the people in my life. Let their negativity and the things that you dislike be something that you're grateful that God has transformed your own heart and life with. There is this true thing that happens in overpowering evil with love that it has a tendency to work. 
There is a story about a police officer and this woman that he had arrested several times. And he talked about how when he arrested people like her in the situation, it wasn't to bring her harm. It wasn't to hurt her. It wasn't to ruin her life. But he would hope that somehow in the system, the police system, in the judicial, judicial system, that if he were to able to arrest this woman, maybe there would be something in her life that could correct it. And I just want you to see how the story unfold, unfolded between a police officer and this woman and how he was able to overpower evil with love and how she could experience that love in a way that was life transformational for her. Mirror guy. Maybe I'll have to stop that. All right, a little bit of good news here. Uh, an incredible story, really. This is a touching one between a retired police officer and a woman that he had once hauled away to jail. A drug user and criminal just a few years ago. Jocelyn James says she didn't really care about anything in life. In fact, she was on Alabama's most wanted list, arrested more than 16 times, often by Officer Terrell Powers. Well, she eventually turned her life around. She got sober. And one night, she was looking at Facebook, and she saw a plea. Officer Powers was in need of a kidney. Well, James said God told her and she had that kidney. She was tested and was a perfect match. And if you give, ask me to give you a list of 100 people that would give me a kidney, her name would not have been on that list. It's like she's another daughter. I mean, she's just a part of us. Seven weeks ago, the two had the surgery, and both are said to be doing well. I mean, isn't that incredible? If you watch other interviews on this story, you'll see how the police officer, after he had arrested this woman, and was a reason that she was in drill, kind of, I think her own reason, or her own actions, really. But he kept in contact with her. He was nice to her when she was accusing him and calling him names instead of retaliating. He just continued to show her kindness. She not only experienced freedom from drugs, she was able to experience freedom from her sin. She became a Christian, and the Holy Spirit, as she said in that interview, God told her it wasn't her kidney, it was his. Not only was he able to transform her life, she was able to transform his life. And they did it not with anger or hostility, but he was able to do this just by showing love. Overpower evil with love. At the end of the day, the one thing that we really have to do in order to defeat the evil in our world is we have to overpower evil. The steadfast love and faithfulness of God go before us. We see the steadfast love and faithfulness of God through the act of Calvary. When Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin so that we could become the righteousness of God. We see how Jesus was able to overpower evil and that he died the righteous for the unrighteous. And he offers salvation to whoever calls upon his name. And for those of us who have received Christ Jesus as our personal Lord and Savior, it is our calling to live out Christ Jesus and to live out his example. People need to see Jesus in you. This world, if we're going to defeat evil, if we're going to overpower evil, we must live out Jesus in our daily lives to the point to where when insults are thrown at us, when we're called names, when we're having accusations thrown at us, when we're mistreated, 
instead of being evil and wicked in response, instead of being controlled by hatred, instead of being controlled by our flesh, we allow Christ to come into us and we are controlled by the Spirit. It's why we have scriptures that tell us not to be controlled by anything but the Spirit of God. Do not be consumed by wine, but be controlled or consumed by the Holy Spirit. Do not be controlled by your flesh, but be controlled by the Holy Spirit that lives and dwells within you. This is the idea that when Jesus comes in, he needs to be lived out through us. The second thought of overpowering evil with Jesus is people need to hear Jesus from you. It is our responsibility not just to live a good life, not just to live a life that is in accordance with God's word, not just to live a life where we have Jesus made evident. It is our job as followers of Jesus Christ to proclaim his message of love, the goodness of our great God and Savior who died for us. And there's great news. There's great news for the rioters and the looters who don't know or believe anything about God. There's good news for the people who have been hurt and harmed by themselves or by drugs or by bad decisions. There's good news for all of us, for you and for me, for everyone. It's found in Romans 10, 13. For everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord Jesus shall be saved. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. This is good for black people and brown people, for Asians, for white, for Hispanics. It's good for everyone. It doesn't matter where you come from. The love of God is sufficient to save you from all of your sin. And there's verse 14, ask a question, and it gives the imperative or a command for us to live out. It falls in line with the marching orders that Jesus gave us in the Great Commission. It says, how then will they, that is, everyone who's dead in their sin, how then will they call upon him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? I love the word of God. The word of God is faithful and true. And I hate that they put preaching there. Because the meaning of that word is not to stand in a pulpit and preach at people. That is not what it means. The right word there, the Greek, the, the understanding here that we should have, it is to proclaim. To speak out, to vocalize. It is the command of every follower of Jesus Christ to vocalize the good news. Not to preach at people, but to proclaim, to communicate the message that God is love and he loves you so much that he sent his son to Jesus to die on the cross for your sin. It says, and how are they to preach or how are they to communicate unless they are sent? Jesus sent the church. Go into the world. That go is a present word. It's this act, active word that as we are living our lives, we are to live sent. As we live our lives in our jobs, in our work, in our community, at the ball fields, in our neighborhoods, as we are living, we are to be proclaimers of the good news. As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. How beautiful are the feet of those who 
tell other people that they're loved by Jesus. How beautiful are the feet of those who speak out an injustice and say, the greatest injustice ever is a sin against God. And understand this, God himself paved a way for you to be right with him. Justice was served on Calvary, and everybody who puts their faith and trust in Jesus Christ can be made right. And justice will be served in the form of your salvation, the forgiveness of sin because of what Christ did. That is the command. That is the marching orders. And it should be seen less as an obligation and more as a privilege for the follower of Jesus Christ. That Christ saved us, he has called us unto himself, and he has sent us to share his message of love and hope and redemption to a dark and evil world. So the question that we have is, how do we, living as light, in the goodness of Jesus Christ, take that message and live it out to a world that is evil and dark and mean and hateful. What I would say in this moment is that to overpower evil, we must embrace what is inside of us as followers of Jesus Christ. If we are not just going to exist and survive, if we're going to thrive and not just overcome but overpower evil, we must embrace what God has given us in and through His Spirit, the power of the active living God dwelling within our heart. 